Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger on this episode of Jill on Money. Do you really need to be so hyper-focused from a young age? I think it's so, so important. This is like the giving up thing. People are told that you have to focus and you have like to just do one thing. Maybe ultimately that's an answer for a lot of people, but when you're 21 or 25 or whatever the age is, how do you know what the one thing is? Like the way that you find out is by doing a bunch of different things. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. We are presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. You know, if you've been listening to the program for a while, you know that one of the ways that you can kind of supercharge the way you approach your life and your career is to have something outside that brings you a little bit of joy, not to mention a few shekels. So to that end, I am bringing back on the pod one of my favorite guests ever. His name is Chris Gillibo. You might know Chris from some of his books. The one that caught my attention from the beginning was called The $100 Startup. He followed up with Side Hustle. And right now you can get 100 Side Hustles, which is the follow-on book that recounts great stories of people who found their passion through work outside of work. He's also the guy who visited every country in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, there are 193 countries in the world. And he has also put on this fantastic conference in Portland, Oregon called WDS, the World Domination Summit. He was kind enough to invite me to the summit this year. And I am just absolutely delighted to have him join us once again. Here is our interview with Chris Gillibo. You're listening to Jill on Money with Jill Schlesinger. So you know that we always start with our question what was the best financial decision or career decision you ever made? So remind us your best I wonder what I answered last time. I know, we're going to have to pull the tape. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, I mean, I I learned pretty early on in my life that I was unemployable, right? And so, you know, I started selling stuff on eBay, pursued this whole, like, side hustle life myself for basically, you know, the past 20 years in one, one fashion or another. The single best decision... I don't know. I think like the same, did you say career or finance? Yeah, Cause, either cause, one. Yeah, because like I would say the same, okay, so I would say the single best decision then was uh, when I was 21, 22, making this decision in my life and very transformative and, you know, gave me a whole different perspective and worldview and like cross-cultural awareness that I carried with me to this day. And ironically, I feel like it actually helps me with like the entrepreneurial stuff that I do as well. Did the word, the term side hustle mm-hmm. exist? when you were younger and actually doing it? Nope. What was it called then? It wasn't really called anything because, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people were doing it, but I didn't know anyone. Like, it wasn't mainstream the way it is now. But I'm I'm excited that it is much more mainstream now and and people understand the importance of it. They understand the importance of having more than one source of income. And uh, it's also much more accessible in the sense that it's like, oh, it's so easy to start all these kinds of projects that I write about. So you also had the $100 startup. Mm. And so what was the genesis of that? Genesis of that was... um, you know, I did this 50-state tour uh, to meet my readers for my first book, which was so fun, so good. Learned lots of stuff along the way. And uh, I kept meeting all of these, like, quote-unquote, accidental entrepreneurs. And they were starting little businesses uh, of their own, completely separate from, like, the Silicon Valley model and all the other stuff that was being talked about in terms of entrepreneurship. And I felt nobody was really writing about them, basically. I felt like there's this whole different, like, part of the country, part of the ethos, et cetera, that the conversation that nobody's really looking at. And so let me tell those stories, you know? And that was very much like the $100 startup was very much like a quit your job, fire your boss, you know, create your own future kind of book. Um, and, and that was good. Like, I'm, I'm proud of it. But, you know, over the years, it's kind of like, well, a lot of people can't quit their job. And also, not everybody 
is the kind of person who should quit their job. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I've got great benefits. Yep. I got a couple kids. I don't want to like sure. take this flyer. Or I myself don't feel like that's something I want to do. Like, I really I enjoy my work or Absolutely. I like my work. Absolutely. So let's talk about the distinction mm. because there's a side hustle, mm-hmm. which it may be different than a gig. Like being part of the gig economy, yeah, versus hugely different, right? And so let's start there. Yeah, how would you compare? Because you do this really well in the book, the side hustle versus participating in the gig economy. Well, the gig economy is just a collection of part-time jobs, basically, um, dressed up as some kind of like new economy sort of thing. And nothing wrong with having a part-time job, you know, like everybody has to do that at some point in life. But if you participate in that, if you're driving for Uber or Lyft or whatever, you're not really getting ahead at all you know you're you're trading time for money and not even a whole lot of money and also they control everything about that process that platform controls everything they cap your compensation they determine the competition if they don't like you you're off the platform etc so you're not really building any sort of, of asset or future for yourself and so most of the stories that i look at like through the side hustle school podcast or through this new book it's about people who are creating assets. So a side hustle different than a gig. And and I think that that's a good distinction about control. There mm. is something about that what I put in is what I can get out and yes. that I can choose to turn it on and turn it off. So mm-hmm. maybe that's one distinction. What other distinctions might you have? Well, I mean, that kind of connects to like a sense of ownership, a sense of validation, of empowerment, of like I made this thing. And what I see is like even people that are making like relatively small amounts of money through this process, $500 a month or $1,000 a month. I mean, first of all, it's it's not insignificant. That's your car payment or it's going toward your student loan debt or whatever. But even so, it's like disproportionately satisfying making this money apart from your paycheck because you wake up and you have like a PayPal payment from a stranger or something. And you're like, you know, somebody sent me money like on on the Internet and it's not fraudulent, you know. Um, it's not going to go back to them, I don't think, right? You know, it's actually going to go into my my bank account. So the, so the thing is, for, you know, for a lot of us, like we are used to that. Like that's our world as entrepreneurs. But for the average person out there, the first time they have that experience, it just feels really good. When I open the book and I, I'm reading about these stories, these are people who you highlighted on the podcast, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so what about their stories do you think connects them? Well, I try to present like a broad range of stories. So it's like all kinds of different stuff. So there are people from different walks of life doing all kinds of different projects. I think what connects them is they have this sense of, uh, of asking, what if? You know, what if I could make money doing this thing? What if this wasn't just a hobby, but it actually could be something that's, you know, bringing me income? So they ask what if. They have the sense of curiosity that they develop. Uh, and then they actually do something about it. So that's the other thing, right? Because everybody has ideas. You know, the average person on the street has a business idea. Great. But the average person isn't actually starting the project. So they have this sense of curiosity and observation and they're willing to like take the next step, whatever it is. They don't go back to business school. Like, not, I mean, I've had 900 episodes, you know, of the show so far, maybe like five people that have an MBA or something. And in most of those stories, they always talk about how they have to like overcome what they learned in business, you know. <laughs> right. Like that was a mistake, but then I learned how to really do it, you know, so. And I think the range is fascinating to me because these are people in all different parts of their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what's inspirational because, you know, we can just like open up the book yeah. to, to, to any page, mm-hmm. right? And we can say, here's someone who's crafty, some dude in New Zealand. Right. We can go over here and we can say, here's, you know, handcrafted wallets. I remember that when we were talking the first time, you said, you know, like there's a guy who's like, hey, I'm really good at spreadsheets. Let me do spreadsheets for you, right? So I'm I'm taking something I do at work and applying it to a vast majority of people who don't want to do that thing. This feels different. 
Mm. How, how well, do you find that? I think there's some of both. I think, uh, you know, it's often good for your side hustle to be something different than what you do, you know, for your day job, but it can be an extension. So that guy was like making these spreadsheet courses, essentially. So it's a skill, but it's applied a little bit differently. I mean, there's the people that are doing, you know, administrative computer kind of work. And so then they do the hands-on thing at night. Um, but there's also like a story, like a reverse story of a guy who, he was a graphic designer and then he became a carpenter. Because so he's like, I really actually want to do that. So he became a carpenter for his day job. And now his side hustle is making these like travel patches, um, you know, that go on backpacks or whatever. But he actually wanted to do more computer work for his side hustle because it was the opposite. So if you think about like sort of the the person who thinks about a side hustle, mm. what has to happen from thought to execution? So first they have this idea and they're like, how do I go from idea to actually having a tangible offer of some kind, right? Like, hey, I like to travel. All I right. wonder what it would be like to go to every single country in the world. Sure. But how does that, what does that look like? How many countries are there in the world? You know, what are going to be the difficult ones? How can I group them together? What's the cost? What visa issues am I going to run into? How much time will this take? Just reverse engineering the process. I mean, there's this story um, of this guy in this book who um, is a copywriter for the U.S. Marine Corps, and he makes teddy bears um, dressed up with, like, Marine uniforms and Army uniforms, and it's to help kids sleep at night. You know, a lot of military families are buying them, uh, especially with uh, parents who are deployed. So this guy, you know, he didn't have a master's degree in teddy bears. You know, he reverse-engineered the process. How do I do that? Well, how do I manufacture. Okay, how do I, where do I find the factory that does this, and how do I import them, and how to distribute them? And how do I market them? And it, you know, in some ways it, it sounds overwhelming, but at the same time, like you can figure out everything. The other piece of it to me in reading it mm. is that it takes you out of your routine mm-hmm. and allows you to really put your arms around something that sounds fun. And even if you determine, yeah, you know what, this is not the best idea because there's these issues, these hurdles, right. sure, I can't sure. do it. It does start to get you thinking. And so my question is, what can we do to help spark that creativity? Mm. What can we do? People are listening here yep, yep, and they're yep. like, this sounds so great. So what do I do? Yeah. Um, a lot of what I do to spark the curiosity is telling all these stories and showing people like all these broad examples of regular people out there, uh, again, who don't have this background or whatever, and they were able to do it. And so maybe you can take this, this particular idea and do this idea yourself, or maybe this idea leads you to something else, or maybe by hearing these stories or reading the book, you know, looking at the the photographs, maybe that also, that kind of teaches you to think in this way, in this way of like the what if thinking, the curiosity, the, you know, how can I then go from from where I am now to where I want to be? And it's ultimately not, not about learning new skills for the most part, it's learning how to apply the skills you already have. You say that the perfect trifecta for a side hustle is passion, skills, mm-hmm. and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. I think it's more important actually to follow your skills because it's going to just make it much easier to have um, you know, a business idea that can be validated, that other people value, et cetera. But uh, we also tend to be passionate about the things that we're good at. You know, So I think if you focus on your skills, it's going to connect to passion in one way, and then, then it's all about where is the right opportunity. You know? When you think back on these 900 episodes and yeah. all the different people you meet, <laughs> what percentage, and I won't hold you to this, but what percentage oh. do you think turn the side hustle into their main job or their main career? 36.8%. Stop it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It probably is about a third. Yeah. It probably actually is now that I think about it. Um, and not everybody has that goal. Right. right? Some people like, you know, just want to make extra money. They want to pay off debt. Uh, or there are a number of people actually who have a side hustle that's actually earning a really good you know, amount of money, but they choose to stay with their job. But I would say, yeah, it's probably about a third 
And it's a really good place to be in when you come to this point of like people always ask, they're really worried about this, about like, what do I do? Once my side hustle really takes off and I'm making all this money, I'm like, well, that's a terrible problem. Right, right? exactly. You know? Oh, too bad. You know, like, it's like, how do I pay the taxes on all the money that I made? I'm like, okay, well, you know, you could not make the money and not have that problem. But so when people come to this point, it's like, that's when they navigate and make that choice for themselves. And it's like, why are you doing this? What's important? What are your values? What are your goals, et cetera? Do you keep in touch with people? to yeah, a lot kind of, them. of hear. So how yeah. does that work? Tell yeah, me. I mean, a lot of them actually will like send us updates and things, which is fun. And, and uh, for me, probably one of the best things is now that we've been doing this for, you know, two and a half years, uh, about 20 to 30% of the stories on the podcast come from listeners who have started their projects since the podcast started, you know, and they heard an idea and they kind of jumped off from that. So I really like that. I mean, that makes me happy. When you think about those people, mm-hmm. um, d- does it break demographically one way or another? I mean, no, it, no? it's just really no. like spread out. It's yeah. a 20 year old to an 80 yep. year old, right? This is a values based thing. You know, this is a, uh, this is about psychographics. This is about people who are interested in change and interested in doing something for themselves. And maybe they're a little bit discontented or frustrated with their situation or just the status quo or whatever. So no, it's not, it's not a demographic thing. This is Jill on Money. Hey, gang, it's me, Jill Schlesinger. You know that. You're listening to The Pod. Certified financial planner, CBS News business analyst, host of this here podcast, Jill on Money. And I am here to tell you about our sponsor, Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Marcus is part of a storied company that's been a leader in financial services for generations. Marcus offers simple, secure access to FDIC-insured savings products, including a high-yield online savings account that earns four times the national average. Marcus also offers certificates of deposit, including a no-penalty CD. Get inspired by your savings account and start saving today to help meet your financial goals tomorrow. You can money. Visit Marcus.com forward slash save. National average data provided by Informa and accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Marcus Deposits products provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. And now back to our interview with side hustle master, Chris Gillibo. What are the, the, the precautions that you would warn people about? I think people feel like they need to learn everything, which is not possible. And they feel like they need to be on every social network, which is not possible. And ultimately, they're just going to spread themselves too thin. And there's so many shiny objects out. Should I be doing webinars? What about the Facebook ads? What about Snapchat? Do I do this? And like, actually, somebody sent me a LinkedIn invitation. And in his, in his bio, he was something about like, he said, I'm, I'm active on 60 different networks or something. Brother. And I'm like, I can't even name 60 networks. I mean, like 15, maybe. Like, I'm sure they're, how, it's not possible to do that. I think it's really important to focus, especially if you're doing this in limited time, which can be a benefit because when your time is limited, you have to be effective. You can't try 10 different things at once. You have to just really focus on something. So be on two networks, you know, be on two platforms. And if you if you hate Facebook, then don't be on Facebook. There's other ways to do it. How do you feel about people who they want to do a side hustle and they have partnerships? Do you find that those are more complicated than those that Way are solo? Way more complicated. Yeah, Way let's talk about that. So it's kind of like the life mission thing. Like if you have a really clear reason to have a partnership, and you know, or really, like this is what you want to do. Yeah, maybe you have complementary skills. Like this person does one thing, this person does something else. Then that's great. But otherwise, like probably on the show, we've had uh, X number of partnership stories. But whatever the number is, it's pretty small. Mm. And then also far more stories 
of a project that started as a partnership. And then they broke up. Yeah, because inevitably, even with your best friend, inevitably one of you is going to be more committed to the project than the other. Right. That's what happens. Is a side hustle a Mm -hmm. luxury that is afforded to people of means? No, I think it's a necessity for everyone. And I think a lot of people out there are experiencing anxiety and, and economic uncertainty. And so they understand they need to do something to look out for themselves because no corporation or startup or, or government or organization is, is going to care for their well-being as much as they will. I mean, I would say you know, a lot of people that we've featured don't come from a privileged background. And this side hustle, which can often become a business, um, you know, can transform their whole life. Just did a story of this family in, in like Winston-Salem, North Carolina. They really didn't have a lot of money. And he was driving for Uber at night trying to like pay extra bills and care for their kids and stuff. And they ended up um, learning to make soap and uh, started this thing on Instagram, really figured out this community and like hacked the algorithm. And they're making tens of thousands of dollars a month all of a sudden. Oh, my God. And it's completely changed their whole family's life. Like, obviously, you know, and I even if it goes away one day, you know, you know, first of all, they've, they've been doing this for a little while now, seven months. And it's like a lot of money. And then second, like the skills that they're gaining through this process, the experience that they're gaining, I feel like this is something that actually you know, has the chance to like um, create more of a level playing ground as opposed to the opposite. I think what's interesting is that the sense of control is huge to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that when people feel like they are in control of even just one sliver of their lives, because mm-hmm. life is messy, it's hard, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And if I can just do this and I feel in control, and even if, as you said, doesn't have to be a ton of money. But, you know, if you really consider this, if if the average household in the United States makes fifty or sixty thousand dollars and there's some way that you can find a few hundred bucks every single month, that actually is a big difference. Yeah. And that can mean the difference yep. between you being able to pay down that student loan debt yep. much faster. Right, it right. might be the difference between your just your head being mm-hmm. a little bit clearer and maybe do you think that perhaps this makes them better at their day jobs? Well, sometimes it does. Right? Sure, yeah. Sometimes That's what does. I would think. Yeah. Because I think that the idea of exploring something creatively mm-hmm. opens you up to different experiences and opens the door for you to maybe have a different idea at work. And I think one of the, mm-hmm. the problems that I hear about all the time from people who work in these you know, big companies is that the idea of innovation and creativity has is talked about but not practiced. Right, right, right. And so where can you find that in your mm-hmm. life? And boy, it feels good when you find that, right? Yeah. And it's exciting. Yeah, it can also make you um, not just do a better job at work, it can make you more valuable at work as well. You know, I think it was actually in the last book that I had the story of this woman who created this business of like personalized candy hearts. And she really did very well with it. It's like a $100,000 a year business. Um, but it's it's extremely seasonal, and everything happens around Valentine's Day. So she kept her her day job and, and enjoyed that. But they actually gave her a raise at a certain point. They they found out what she's doing, and it, obviously it's totally fine. But they were worried about losing her, you know. Oh, and that's funny. So they gave her a raise. So she's obviously doing well in all parts of the equation. What do you feel like is the you know kind of like your learning? If you could go back to you know your twenty something self, right, mm. and you're like in West Africa doing yeah. whatever you're doing, what was it that you really thought you were so sure about in your 20s that now you wish you could have given the gift to yourself? Mm. It would be some sort of um, emotional confidence or some sort of um, more belief in myself uh, or like self-awareness. Um, it would it'd be something like that. I don't quite know exactly how to how to define it. That's one aspect of it. And the other aspect would be like, hey, you know, a whole bunch of exciting stuff is going to happen, you know, over the next 10, 20 years. 
get ready and jump right in and, you know, don't wait, basically. And whenever you, whenever an opportunity comes along that scares you, say yes. So what do you do for yourself to continue mo- motivating yourself? And what do you do f- to spark inspiration? I do new projects. I do new stuff. I, I What's challenging? You know, I think for me, like one of the definitions of like happiness or contentment or meaning or whatever is striving, challenging myself. I'm not, if I don't feel challenged in some way, then I'm not growing. And I think that you kind of stagnate if you're not in that situation. I think it's so, so important. And this is like the giving up thing. People are told that you have to focus and you have like the, you have to just do one thing. Maybe ultimately that's an answer for a lot of people, but when you're 21 or 25 or whatever the age is, how do you know what the one thing is? Like right. the way that you find out is by doing a bunch of different things. If you're really trying to like break into something or start a business or whatever, why wouldn't you just say yes to everything that comes along? And then as you need to filter, then you can later. And I think what's interesting about that is I know that this generation, so let's think about workers who are in their 20s mm. right now. I feel bad for them because, you know, younger to middle age millennials who came of age during a financial crisis mm-hmm. and a great recession. And there yep. is great financial and economic uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so, so many of them seem to be pushing through on a pathway mm-hmm. that they feel they must be on. Well, you know, right. I've got this debt. I have to be able to pay it off. Mm-hmm. I have to do this. And this is how I get from A to B to C. And I think that many of the people that are most interesting to me that I meet mm. are the ones that zigzag. Like I went to A, then I went to M, yep, then I went to exactly. D, and then I went to Z, and that's kind of where I got where I am. Yep, yep. I sort of I'm sad for them that they don't want to kind of amble. Yeah, I mean, most successful people, and you know, successful being defined as they're fulfilled, they're doing something that they want to do, and other people can look and recognize that excellence in them. I think most successful people have ambled. I often encounter, so I'm in my 50s, right? So I encounter my friends, my family, some of my coworkers who seem kind of just fried. Mm. They are incredibly successful people, right, right. right? From the outside, but they are disgruntled. I think they're just burnt out in some respects. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Right? And so I think that developing a side hustle at that point could be fantastic. Also, because, you know, we're living longer and doing something and being productive and feeling ambitious and striving. Mm -hmm. I think those are really nurturing and I think Mm -hmm. they're life affirming. And I think that, you know, when I hear about people say, I'm just going to retire when I'm 61 and play golf, I just, I worry. I -hmm. worry for them. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't know if we talked about my grandfather last time I was here. He was a merchant marine and then worked uh, in NASA in the Marshall Space Flight Center uh, for 20 years and had a career. And they had a mandatory retirement thing. I forget it was, I think it was actually before he was 60 even. And he lived 30 more years and he wasn't always that happy. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do a whole lot. Mm. And, you know, the rest of us in the family, I mean, he's, he's passed on now, but the rest of us, when we've reflected on him, we're like, he could have had a whole other career. He yes. really could have. But at that time, you know, it was like you're just supposed to retire and do, you know, stuff. But right. he could have done something. He was still still at like the prime of his intelligence and faculties when he had to retire. And so, yeah, I wish he had done that. So, My dad, who died five and a half years ago, he, mm. he, had, he had a very physical job. He was a trader on the floor of the exchange, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you don't do that for wow. your whole life, right? Yeah. So then he moved off the floor and then he did that for a while. He traded from off the floor. But then... 
I think what ended up really exciting him was that he would meet with these young people who mm-hmm. were looking for, like, not a ton. He's not a venture capitalist or private equity guy. He's yeah. just a guy who was like, hey, I met this kid Chris at the mm-hmm. deli, yeah. and I was just helping him out. Mm-hmm. And, like, he would sort of become an unpaid advisor and then maybe, like, a little bit of a banker. Like, oh, you mm-hmm. can't get a loan. I'll lend you the money. He loved it. And mm-hmm. I feel like that was awesome. And when that started to dry up, I felt like he kind of emotionally went downhill and physically soon after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so interesting because I really believe yeah. that we are not meant to be idle. Mm-hmm. We are just not. 100% agree. Uh, all right, Chris, I have to let you go. My God, I, I have a, mu- a number of things. We have things to do. Okay. First yeah. of all, you said your best money or career decision in the beginning. What was your worst? When I was 20... Um, I invested, well, like that's a, probably the wrong verb, but I paid about $2,000 to this. I don't know if it was like multi-level marketing thing or something, but <laughs> yeah, I love know, it already. Yeah. Basically it's some, some kind of ridiculous thing where if you like invest in this thing and they're, like, they're going to send you a bunch of books and you give these books to other people and all of a sudden you're going to start making money. And it, it made sense when I was 20. I was like, this sounds great. Awesome. All I do is give $2,000 and then money starts coming and then the, you know, I mean, the, the conclusion to that story is really shocking. Basically, nothing happened. Yeah. That is, we should write the sequel. <laughs> right, exactly. And that when you, the, the yeah. next idea comes mm-hmm. along, nothing will happen. Yeah, exactly. It's consistent. Right. And so $2,000, like when I was 20, it was like a big thing. Oh, my God. And yeah. I just felt so mad at myself. You know, I, I felt so upset at myself for years, actually, afterwards. You know, it was, it was even, you know, worse than losing the $2,000 was just like how stupid I felt about it. You know, oh, yeah. I had to let it go eventually. You're listening to Jill on Money. It is time for the Marcus Minute, presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Who's playing today? Chris Gillibo, author of 100 Side Hustles. Okay, you ready? I have no idea if I'm ready, but go on. You are going to be ready. What's one word to describe your relationship with money? Complicated. What's always worth spending on? Something for your health. Green juice. What's the dumbest thing you've spent money on? Um, the $2,000 in multi-level marketing. Whose face would you put on the dollar bill? Jill Schlesinger. How much do you spend on a haircut? $50. It's your last day I on Earth. I should er- apologize for that, too. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's your last day on Earth. You have $100 in your pocket. What would you do with it? I mean, it's the last day on Earth. I don't know if I need money. If I wanted something, I could just shoplift it or steal it or break into something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, last day on Earth, I'm really not thinking about money that much. Okay, done. Chris Gillibo, thanks for playing. Thank you. Thanks so much to Chris Gillibo. He has become a great friend. I encourage you to check out his website, chrisgillibo.com. You can also check out sidehustleschool.com to listen to his podcast. We drop new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday of Jill on Money. Sometimes we throw a bonus episode in over the weekend or on Friday. And if you'd like to subscribe, just go to Apple, Stitcher, Radio.com, Google Play, anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. If you've got a financial question, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address, askjill at jillonmoney.com, or just hop onto jillonmoney.com. That's our website. And you can always hit the contact button and we'll get your email. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is our executive producer extraordinaire. We are distributed by Cadence 13, and our show is presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. See you next week.